Hey, I bet you didn't see this again, huh? Another edition of the damn podcast. Brandon Sprague, 1080, the fan, Angie Machado, BeaverBlitz.com. And yes, people on social media, people texting me, had some people reaching out, email. Is the damn podcast coming back or is it not? I really want to know. Are you guys going to do one? You didn't do a recruiting podcast. Well, no, we didn't do a recruiting podcast. We straight dropped the ball. I take a lot of responsibility for that, but... We have decided to bring back the damn podcast. Angie, how's the summer been going? It's good. Yeah, season three of the damn podcast. Yeah, it just I had a, a big reflection moment, and I was trying to do some things behind the scenes. The season snuck up on me. We're exactly one month away from uh, the kickoff against Colorado State. And just to take you behind the scenes real quick, because we have a lot to get to on the first damn podcast of the 2017 season, I did get to a point where I mentally was done. Uh, I didn't want to do it again. Had nothing to do with Angie. Had nothing to do with listeners or or the Beavers or anything like that. It just, I think when you when you work in any media field, I know a lot of people don't understand this. Like, there's a lot of commitment that goes on behind the scenes of doing things. And I got I'm to a point in my life where if I do something or I'm putting content out there, even if it's not the best content every single time, I try to make it. But even if it's not. I feel like, all right, I spent this amount of time. I want to get paid for it. I mean, I'm a father of two. And so I just, that, that's been the hang up for us. It's Angie has been more than accommodating of let's do it. Okay. You don't want to do it. Okay. That's fine. Cause she's got great news for Beaver Blitz uh, people out there as well on what's been going on with them. But I just kind of got to a point where if we weren't making money, I didn't really want to do it. Uh, I love doing it with, uh, Angie and talking about Oregon State that came out wrong but I love talking about uh, Oregon State football with Angie I love the interaction we get on 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 beaverblitz.com and on social media but it just got to a point where I think most people can appreciate or at least understand when you work a lot you want to be compensated properly and this is totally a volunteer project for Angie and myself we've put out for advertisers there's a couple companies that are still kind of in limbo but I said, you know what? I, I'm just going to move ahead, and I'm not going to sit and wait and then randomly do one in the middle of October. That's not fair. So we, at least for now, will have a podcast going for the 2017 season. So I just wanted to kind of let people know about that. But but to piggyback on there, you know, this does take a lot of time. It's not like we just kind of throw something together the last minute each week. So, um, you know, and talk to Brandon and I if you're interested. If you have a small business, if you know someone – Great way. Um, we can get you some demographics on, on what the listeners look like, yep. and uh, we'd love to, you know, put a little package in front of you and uh, get your name out there. Absolutely. There's a lot more to it than you know. It's we don't have the biggest listenership in the podcast world, obviously, but it's not ten people sitting somewhere listening. We have pretty good plays. Again, if you're interested, contact Angie. Contact myself. Um, even if you're a small business, it really doesn't cost what you think it would cost. And uh, I just I see it in radio all the time, the advertisement and just kind of discussing something or maybe even having a meetup live podcast somewhere. I just truly believe that that works. I really do. Um, but we have a great podcast today kicking off the 2017 Did you just say a meetup podcast. Would that be like some cool restaurant or bar might like have us do a podcast there? And yeah, we do I mean, a, a live podcast. We do Q&A with people and, and have a good time. I, I mean, I work for tots. I will like throw that out there. <laughs> I think I, I would too, and some beer if you could throw that in. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But we got to okay, let's, let's get going. It's yeah. going to be a fun season. It is. It's going to be a really fun season, and we have a lot to get to in this first podcast. Don't worry, we're not going to do every single topic that's out there in just one. We are going to break this up. The Beavers one month away, and today we actually have a special guest. I'm really excited because, and by the way, that's something else we're going to aim to do this year. We know we we haven't done a great job, in my opinion, at guests. Well, Angie and myself are both going to change that. We will have a much, I think we're going to have a much improved podcast from what we did last year. So I'm really excited, and we're going to kick off the first podcast, and he should feel pretty special about this because he is the first guest. Alex Crawford, filmmaker, the legend right. of the giant killers. Hey, thanks for having me on. I uh, I do feel special because I didn't, you know, I, I know about the damn podcast, there was a time many moons ago, Brandon, when you and I did a little beef cast. That's right, when your schedule was more flexible. And then you moved on to bigger and better things. With Angie, Angie, yes. And, yes. Uh, and uh, you know, I was left in the beef dust, <laughs> but now I'm back here on the damn podcast, so uh, I'm excited. It should be a damn good time. Angie, thank you for allowing me to join you guys on the uh, 
airwaves or internet waves. Oh my gosh, it's so great to have you, Alex. And uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun here uh, each week. So feel so free far, to join in anytime you want. Okay, I will remember that. You hear that, Brandon? Anytime <laughs> I want. Well, Angie, I, uh, he doesn't want you to know this. He's kind of alluded to it there. He was uh, a little jealous that I uh, that you and I started doing the podcast because me and him did do a beef cast. At, uh, the bromance yeah. kind of took a little hiatus. Yeah, he was a little jealous of the bromance. It can be hard to be replaced, yeah. but uh, you have to know how to love. You have to know how to leave, you know? <laughs> No doubt about it, dude. I think you're spot on on that one. All right. Maybe you're just a little too big time now, Alex. Uh, That's actually a great point. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think you're getting too <laughs> big for your britches. I think you're getting too nope. big. The bridges fit. They're okay. elastic. All right. Hey, they grow. <laughs> I'm wearing elastic sweatband. Hey, let's get to some uh, Let's get to some Oregon State stuff, right? There is a lot to discuss. We all have one big question that we are going to pose to the listeners and to the podcast, which we will discuss each of, th- of those three and uh, we'll get into some of the position battles here. And, and I want Angie, I want to allow you some time as well to talk about the great news with your website, new information, and stuff. So we have a lot to get to. So let's start here. I'm just going to start off right off the bat. What I think is is the biggest question mark with the program. This isn't my question. This is just one of the things I want to discuss with you guys. The quarterback battle, which... They ha- they won't name a quarterback. Gary Anderson at Pac-12 Media Day still will not name a quarterback. But you talk to anybody that goes to practice, anybody around the program, it's basically, to me, Jake Luton's job to lose. How do we feel about the quarterback battle going into the 2017 season? I- I'll start. I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody thinks it's Jake Luton's to lose. But what concerns me a bit about that is why hasn't he just grabbed the reins and taken it? You know, you have a guy with some Pac-12 experience, and I'm not saying Marcus McMarion's the guy, but he does have a really good rapport with with the teammates, with the receivers, with the O-line. And, uh, you know, if if Luton's the guy, I would have thought Spring could have, uh, you know, maybe separated him a little more than it has. Yeah, my question is, I'm I'm a big Marcus McMarion fan just because when he came in and took over last year because of circumstances, the word on the street was and sources within the team were saying, you know, this – this kid's good, but he's you know he's not a Pac-12 quarterback. He's like, limited. He's limited. Yeah. He's he's a good kid. This is what I heard a lot when he took over from people around the program. Good kid, hard worker, great guy to have. Good team player. You know, all that stuff first, and then. Uh, but we'll see how he does at the game, you know. And so the they fact- went white guy basketball, gym rat, high Ex- motor, exactly white guy <laughs> basketball, small white wide receiver. Like the yeah. same words were used to describe Marcus McMarion, and the fact that he. Went and earned the job, and I guess, and not only earned the job, but then, but then the way he played at the end of the year, and the way he led the team, and the way he showed improvement. Mm-hmm. I, I know, you know, at the end of the year, he wasn't. You know, they won the Beavers won the Civil War on the back of, of Ryan Nall and that offensive line, but the the way he showed improvement throughout the end of the season, it, it makes me. I kind of question bringing in. Obviously, with the Jake Luton, like you're not going to say no to bring that kid in, but it's like. If this is if it seemed like McMarion's team at the end of the year, and then you bring in a new guy who's more talented, I I do question that rapport with his teammates. Like, what are you losing if you don't start him? You know, what bringing a new guy into the mix it makes me question things. I, I'm a McMarion fan. I'm a very big Marcus McMarion fan. So I think uh, there's a pretty decent percentage of people. Um, obviously, you want the quarterback position to be in a better circumstance, but I think given what you have, I think there's a decent chunk that are McMarion fans as well. I mean, the kid was there when they won the Civil War. He had the game where he threw three touchdowns. He had moments last year. But I also want to remind people, this was the second worst passing offense in the conference. They averaged 173 yards a game. And I know that's not all him. Garrettson got his looks. Connor Blount got his looks. But this this is kind of just where I, I feel on it. He can be a great team guy and a locker room guy and... I'm sure he's a really hard worker for what his skill set is. Gary Anderson's not bringing in Jake Luton if he feels he has a Pac-12 quarterback, if he has the guy that he wants to lead his program. That's why I think you bring in a Jake Luton. He is an unknown, he is an unproven, but he is 6'7", and he's got a big arm. I want to see them name him the quarterback. And, And Angie, I think that's a good point. Like It concerns you the fact that he hasn't quote-unquote earned it, right? My my thing is, is that I think they know it's him. I interviewed Ryan Nall on my radio show two weeks ago, and he basically said it's Luton, and then he realized that he was saying that, and he kind of backtracked a little bit, because I think the word in the locker room, it's Luton's job. 
But I just think Gary Anderson, for whatever reason, has a certain way of announcing this. And I don't think, by the way, as great as Gary Anderson is as a as a coach and as exciting it is that he came to Oregon State, let's not act like he's handled the quarterback position that well. The first year he was here, he went on record and said, I have no problem playing two quarterbacks the whole season. Yeah, you should, because <laughs> anybody that even watches football for an hour knows two quarterbacks doesn't work. So I, I just think it's kind of the process and the way that he handles quarterbacks, Angie. Oh, I completely agree with that. Not, not so much that he hasn't earned it. I think he has earned it because he's clearly been taking one reps. But I think it's more about Gary Anderson than it is Luton. And I and I agree. And and then you also have that little. I just and I'm not saying this was going to happen, but you have a junior quarterback in McMarion who graduated this spring. Touche. And could have been a a grad transfer with two years of eligibility. So, um, you know, you have to keep you know him somewhat engaged to keep him in, you know, because we've seen you're going to need one, two, maybe three quarterbacks in a season to get through it. So, um, you know, is some of this gamesmanship, I will say, I will agree with you. And, and all the good that I've seen from Coach Anderson is, and his staff, you know, and he'll come out and say he's not an offensive guy, yet we've seen so much turmoil, you know, the, the kind of the demotion of Coach Baldwin from OC. Yeah. Um, and then Kevin McGiven coming in and then, um, you know, first game seeing Daryl Gerritsen and then Connor Blount coming in. So um, lots of kind of turmoil, I guess, at the, at the quarterback spot. Um, and then, you know, then there's the whole discussion of, you know, is Luton coming in to run an air raid offense? And, and that's a whole nother, another discussion we can have later in the podcast. But um, I do, I, I think it's Luton's job, but there's a lot of, of factors at play. And, you know, I, frankly, I thought – you know, McMarion, like, like I said, you guys have said it all. He's a great guy, great team player. Um, I actually thought he played his best game in the Civil War when he was able to actually tuck it up and run. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, it didn't. You know, they didn't really let him do that earlier in the in the year when he had the ball. I got a question, Angie, for you because you're around the team. Uh, you know, actually, like day to day, or just around more Corvallis. often than we are. Yeah, yeah, definitely more often than we are. I mean, have you have you have players said anything, or have you picked up on a vibe of like players and their bond or their rapport with Luton versus McMarion? Because obviously, McMarion has been around the team a lot more than Luton has, and and had those wins with the team. I I just I you know, like I said before, I think there's something to be said about that in the and and the chemistry that comes with winning games with your teammates. Have you gotten a sense of the rapport or how guys are fitting into the team? Yeah, no, the biggest thing, it's, it's not so much a, a knock on Luton. It's just that what I've seen from the guys is just, like, and it's, it may be just because he's been around more. Um, you know, Luton was battling some injury, too, during spring camp, so he wasn't around as, as much taking live reps. But, you know, the guys do seem to really bond well and, and be around Marcus. So um, the underdog kind of always, though, has the team's back. I mean, I think back to several years ago when you had Cody Vaz, and Mark and uh, Sean Mannion, yeah, yeah, there was yes. a, a, you know, the big, you know, a lot of the team was kind of behind Vaz, and and so you have have some of that as well. But um, you know, Marcus has definitely proven himself, but uh, they do need to get that passing game going, and uh, I do expect that that Luton will be the guy. And that being said, not to turn this into an interview with you because you've been down <laughs> around the team more. But that being said, like. Do you think McMarion, because there's always the question of, you know, let's say McMarion, you know, at the end of the year, he he clearly earned the starting role, uh, despite the circumstances that forced him into it. And, you know, he he's, he ends the year thinking, you know, I'm the starter, uh, this is my team, whatever. And then Luton comes in and is everything we want him to be, and McMarion gets relegated back to that backup role. Is he, a, uh, you know, in the NBA or in the NFL or whatever, whatever sport, you know, we'd say, you know, a guy's a true professional. He'll go right back into that backup role. And then there's guys that, you know, they get a taste of the starting position. And they get upset and, and they, ego. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is McMarion going to be able to check his ego? Do you get, like, are we are we worried about that at all? No, I, we, should we? I don't think we should. I don't think so the either. he's been dealing with the last two seasons, he did it with Seth Collins. And I mean, think about McMarion. He's always kind of been the underdog. Even yeah. when Riley was here, nobody really counted on him to be, you know, it was all talk about Nick Mitchell. And yep. and there was a lot of kind of just relegating him to kind of more of a backseat role. Um, yeah, I think your ego gets checked. But at the same time, you have to remember he's these are his teammates. These are his friends. Um, we see, I think, too much of that, frankly, in college, especially with quarterbacks. Quarterbacks leaving and transferring. I mean, how many USC quarterbacks have, you know, reminds me of... 
Cartman on uh, South Park, and I'm taking my ball and going home. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, no, and I don't. I never got that vibe from McMarion, so I just want to no. bring that up because because that's good. Like that's what you need to have a successful program is to have backups that are capable of starting if necessary. But but exactly. But what about too? Here's here's the other wild card of that conversation is it's funny that it's it's McMarion or Luton, right? And Luton, I think everybody would con- the consensus would be that it's right now it's he's the starting quarterback. And we bring up, well, what about McMarion and, and how he's going to feel and be the backup? Oh, yeah, what about Gerritsen? We're totally forgetting about <laughs> Daryl Gerritsen, the kid who actually started last year, played a damn good game in Minnesota, took a huge shot, couldn't complete a pass the rest of that game. And I don't know what happened. Maybe it was injury. Maybe it was being a little timid from getting hit at Minnesota. He was never the same after that game. Jesus, never. he got demolished at Minnesota, dude. Like I know, and he played and talk really about well. A tough but kid. Yeah, to get up time and time again, like he did. I mean, but the weird thing was how well he played in that circumstance, and then to not—he he looked like he never played quarterback after that. The rest of I the don't season, think he ever. I don't think he was ever healthy after that. I see. I was wondering too. I don't like to speculate on on injuries. He it took just, hits, and that's kind of where I'm going. Is I think when you watch football and we know all the studies that are done, you kind of can't help but sometimes watch a player when he does one thing well and then he goes to do it again and it clearly is not the same performance. Or well, even okay, finish. same game. Look at look at Villeman. Yeah. He, same exact. I mean, he got laid out in You're that right. game. And he never he never, he never performed well. And I just you no. do wonder because they had that new study just released about the CT stuff. And I'm not saying they have CT. I'm just saying. You worry about getting the bell rung and how much or how much more serious that is as a lingering effect the rest of the season. Because you can't give me tape of Garrettson, Minnesota, and then give me tape Garrettson. Who was that? Was that uh, the Utah game? Uh-huh. Was that the Utah game that he played? Yeah, the Utah game. That's when he broke his, uh, his ankle. His foot. Yeah, his foot. You can't give me those two tapes and say that's the same player. Clearly, some there's a disconnect between that, right? Yeah. I know I I I, just, I can't I couldn't help but wonder that. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily like he got his bell rung and he's like concussed the whole season. I think it's partially like I kind of think it's what you said, Angie. Like so many times, these guys throughout college football have nagging injuries that never get disclosed or get talked about no doubt, that, that yeah. affect them. And then two, like you said as well, like getting hit like that and let you know getting your bell rung in that game against Minnesota, getting just leveled time and time again. You, you get scared back there. You know, you're yeah. like, oh. You start hearing, you hear the footsteps yeah. a little louder. Your eternal clock and you, is quicker. Right. Yeah. There are so many injuries that don't get discussed, whether it's, you know, a, a tweaked ankle or, you know, rib bruises, um, pulled muscles that, you know, a guy might not be, uh, typically, you know, a starter is not going to be 100% by like week three. Yeah, ever. In every it, position. It just, in any position. So, you know, that, that comes into play too. So, where you might be running out on an adrenaline rush at the beginning of the of the game, you you know those those things start to nag at you a little bit toward you know the end of the game and as the season wears on. I mean, we saw it with Nall with his high ankle sprain. It you know games he couldn't go and mm-hmm. other games he was all world and other times you could tell it was bugging him. Okay, I, so I have I have one more thing on the quarterback um, because we have other things that we have to get to in this podcast. I, one last question, Angie. You, I, it feels like we're just interviewing Angie at some points in this podcast. I know. Yeah. Well, we got to go down. That being said, you and I have to go down to Corvallis soon, Sprague. Yeah, yeah. We will. We will for sure. But Angie, because you have Beaver Blitz and you're in that, you know, the message board conversation with a lot of the diehards, I think you can answer this one better, the best for me. I can't help but think year three for Gary Anderson and the expectation, and now you have Luton, or maybe it's McMarion, or hell, maybe it's even Garrettson. Isn't there any concern from anybody else out there? We don't know or think we have the future quarterback at Oregon State. Is year three too early for that? Because Mason Moran, at this point last year, Angie, I I recall you and I talking on the podcast about that of, well, you're going to redshirt the kid, and that's your quarterback. And then he was moved to safety, so clearly he wasn't picking up what they needed him to pick up at the quarterback position, and he's a hell of an athlete. But they don't have that quarterback. There's not a Sean Mannion. You know, there's not, um, uh, for lack of a better example, there's not like a Ryan Katz. There's not a young quarterback. Yeah, the Beavs have always had a guy at. waiting in the wings. Exactly. For as long as I can remember. And, and now it's like a plug-and-play. It's a Garrettson transfers. It's a Jake Luton transfers. And I know McMarion's been there for a while, but... Is there any concern from fans that going into year three, there's really not one on the roster that you see right now? 
Yeah, I mean, quarterback recruiting, you know, I would say has been one of the weaker areas. And I, I think until Oregon State proves to win um, and really kind of sets that identity of what their offense is, because um, we have seen changes, you know, we've seen changes from a, a balanced attack or a dual threat quarterback that will run. You know, we start with the Gary Anderson era with Seth Collins. So, um, and now we're moving to a 6-7 guy. So, um, that's, I mean, I, I don't want to say Luton's not mobile. He's, I would say he's more mobile than a Sean Mannion was, but, you know, he's not really a threat to just pick it up and, and run it 30 yards. So, um, you know, there is that concern. You know, there's a, a true freshman, Aiden Willard, that they really like. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he needs to put weight on, and, and he's a great story, though. You know, his parents are Oregon Staters, and, he, and he's a beaver. So um, played on that TMP Elite team with, you know, some of the top recruits, Isaiah Hodgins and Trajan Cotton. So um, there's that. But, you know, they, they feel really good about that they got their top guy for the 2018 class in Spencer Petras. Marin Catholic's quarterback, same school as Jared Goff, very similar in a lot of ways to a, to a Goff. So um, I, I really do think Oregon State just needs to really kind of set that identity and say what you will about Riley. I mean, everybody knew he was a pro-style guy. Yep. That's what he wanted. Yep. Um, you know, looking forward even like to 2019, I mean, University of Washington is just killing it with recruiting yeah. with quarterbacks. So, um, you know, they it's kind of an embarrassment of the riches. They have two amazing guys signed in for, or not signed, but committed for 2018 and have a, a commit from a 2019 kid at a Graham Washington in Dylan Morris, who is probably one of the best quarterbacks I've seen live in years. Yeah. I mean, the kid is amazing. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a question, but like I said, Spencer Petrus is kind of that guy, and then Aiden Willard is, is the true freshman coming in. But um, definitely those blue-chip quarterbacks is something that they're really going to need to uh, to work on in the future. All right, so let's, uh, let's go on to the quarterbacks. I think we'll get back into the quarterbacks based on one of the questions that we're all going to talk about. It's a question Oop. Angie has. What did you just do it's there? It's like a, like a, like like a, a like Scooby-Doo like, thing? I don't know, or? like a noise. Like if we had a drops board, I would have played a little like See that's that yeah that's too that's the radio guy in you sorry sorry <laughs> like scoot <laughs> like, like what like a little I don't know I was trying to like tease the audience good like, one Jackie because I there's like a what we're gonna recall something that Angie brought up and I was like Ugh, like stay All right. tuned well Crawford's on the podcast today we could <laughs> so, tell okay um we uh, I want to go back let's just go to the position right behind the quarterback then um they have four running backs guys are we really <laughs> buying that one of these guys is not going to end up being the uh, the one left behind because you have Nall, who's clearly the starter. You then have what I think should be the backup, Art Pierce, who was a true freshman last year and came on at the end of the year, had a good Civil War game himself. He's a Florida kid. And then you bring in Trey Johnson from TCU, the transfer, and Thomas Tyner, who's getting a lot of the headlines because, well, it's Thomas Tyner, former Duck, almost Beaver commit maybe. One of the best high school athletes in the state Maybe ever. the greatest football. football player we've ever seen in Oregon history. And he's transferring after coming out of retirement. I, I, I was just kind of curious your guys' thoughts on having four running backs because we know that's not feasible. I love it. Well, but then, so, and if you were at, I was at practice yesterday and they were letting the young guys run and Calvin Tyler, a true freshman out of Texas, was – and, and Coach Anderson now has mentioned him like three different times about him jumping right off the off the field at him. So, jeez. Oh, I mean, it's not quarterback though. Like right, like you can have four or five running backs in the NFL. We see a lot of teams go with a two or three headed attack. I'm not saying that that's necessarily... so. You still have four though. No, I know. Maybe five but guys, with that freshman. Guys get hurt. Like yeah. Nall got hurt a lot last year, and Nall. Yeah, they, Nall's not a healthy player. What do they call him? A unicorn? You know, like a, a guy like that who can catch, who can block, who can run. Yeah, he's got speed. He doesn't have elite breakaway speed. It's deceptive, though. He I know broke away from those Oregon secondary guys in the Civil War. Oh no, two years I know, ago. I know, I know. But a guy who <laughs> Ryan all takes hits. Yeah, a lot of times he'll initiate the contact, but he still takes hits and he runs upright. He's a guy that gets banged up, and I know that uh, what what he has. He's the Oregon State career leader in in yards per carry, right? I saw, six point five or six seven. Yeah, or something and like I, that. yeah, I saw that the OSU football Twitter tweeted that out, and then Chaquiz Rogers tweeted back at him saying, "Then don't wait until the last two games of the season <laughs> to give him twenty plus carries," which I loved, and I retweeted, and I was like, "Hell yeah, Jaquiz!" But at the same time, it's like maybe Nall isn't uh, every single game twenty plus carry guy because he can't stay healthy. So it's good to have change of pace and spell spell him here and there and and whatnot. I don't know. That's I. I'm stoked on it. I'm not. I'm not concerned about the running backs. The quarterback. I'm worried. But I'm the not running concerned. Backs, I'm just wondering. 
Like who? Yeah, is... it's, it's kind of that's that. There's Oregon State's embarrassment of the riches. Yeah, really. When you look at it, I mean, we don't know what Tyner's going to do. He's a big kid, and but you know, has yeah, he, he got does bigger he have too? By the speed? way, yes. I, I guess he called it his fishing weight. <laughs> yeah, I saw that quote. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but if it's your way of saying you got a little heavier, then yeah, okay, I see what you're I saying. I got no problem with that. But, you know, does he have the speed? But, uh, I mean, gosh, I mean, not such problems to have. I mean, you put him as a return guy. I mean, some of these guys could be return guys. And like you said, don't count Art Pierce out. I mean, he was I know, he's some, good. You know, some good solid as a true freshman. We don't know anything about Travorius Johnson. No, but he transferred to Oregon State because he was probably told you got a great chance of getting some playing time here. Yeah, and, and he was a, he's a Houston he, area running back. I'll tell you back. what, he, he is like Nall. He's a bruising pro-style type dude, running back. He's a big guy. And that's the reason he, he left TCU is because they changed their system up and he got kind of left behind in what they're looking to do. Um, and maybe he's the one that's left out or maybe – I just don't think Tyner's – Maybe I'm downplaying it. He's got great speed, no doubt. I don't buy him as a return guy. I never have. He certainly didn't really do that at Oregon. They looked at other players for that. Especially with the weight he added. Like, and the, yeah, that's he's not a 232 return. at 5'11". That's huge. That's not a return, man. I'm sorry. That's that's heavier than I think people want him to be. So I'm sure maybe he'll lose that once camp gets going more and more. But here's my problem. Is what you just pointed to, right? Well, maybe Ryan's no, Ryan Nall's not an every game, 20 carry a game guy. Maybe he's not health-wise, but you shouldn't have the mentality of not having him included in your game plan. He's a dude you want because he is going to be a wrecking null. He's the guy that breaks the tackles and punishes the the next wave past the defensive line. He punishes the linebackers. He punishes the strong safeties when they come up. You can't not play him just out of fear of maybe he gets hurt this game. Yeah, you got to play him as you. Ha- you have to feed him as much as he can it's, handle. That's what I'm saying. I mean, no, I I know. He's and, and, I, and I, I hear know. you, Alex, when you said he's not, you know, a, a speedster, but he doesn't look it running. But like Brandon said, that de- his speed is deceptive when he's breaking past the duck secondary. Remember that little screen he caught last year, and he busted through and he ran. Yes. And it was just weird because you thought, oh, he's going to get caught. You're looking at him, and you're like, dude, yeah. he's not very fast. But yet, then you're looking at him past everyone else, and you're like, oh, wait. DBs no, are is. chasing him, and they're not catching him. No, I know, him. I know. Yeah. I just, I'm thinking of other plays. Like, I'm thinking of, I can't remember the exact play, but, like, against Stanford, I recall a play where he gets caught from behind or whatever and gets, you know, so he'll take maybe a couple more hits than a guy that has, I would he's take. He's still going to fall forward for, like, three yards. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take the Nall bare over, minimum. I'll take Nall over any back in the conference. I mean, don't, I, I love Ryan Nall. I think he's one of the best backs in the nation, and he's the one guy last year when I have a good friend who's the director of recruiting for USC, and he's the one guy repeatedly that's like, I'm so pissed we didn't get that guy. I'm so pissed we didn't have him. Yeah. I'm like, hell well, yeah. Imagine that's... him with the Trojans. Jeez. Uh, no thanks. I like him. I like him in Corvallis. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think about USC already getting the love with Ryan Nall. I love Ryan. Like, Ryan Nall's a guy that... It, Kind of aside from football, the university needs to like market him and put him as like the face of he's, the program. He's a fun interview. He is, and he's just a fun, he's just a fun dude to watch play football. But yeah. anyway, I don't know. Yeah, like it's an embarrassment of riches, and I just I don't know with with uh, the amount of injuries that we saw last year from the Beavers, mm-hmm. and that just we see in football in general. I'm I'm glad that we have depth at that position. I, I guess to put it as best I can from my perspective, and you guys have different opinions on this, obviously. My thing is I've gone back and forth with people on social media about this. When you talk about the depth and limiting it to three at most, I just I, it's not reasonable to have four unless an injury happens. So I'm not going to go hypothetical. Let's say no injuries happen. You're not going to play four of them. I'm just not big on Tyner. I, I know smooth is what he was called by Luton, and the speed is always going to be there. Didn't we see it at Oregon, though? The dude doesn't like to run through the tackles, and when he does, he usually ends up getting injured. The one thing nobody talked about when he was in high school, and I don't mean this to take anything away from his achievements because he was probably the best player I've ever seen live in high school in the state of Oregon. His offensive line was a D1. They were awesome. Those holes that they gave him, he had to break him and get past the secondary, and he did that. Those were holes that... A division two or three running back could have got and still got sixteen to seventeen hundred yards on. I really believe that his speed was legendary, and he is a great athlete. Again, I'm happy he's a beaver because I think there's a part of him that always wanted to be a beaver when Riley was recruiting him. But I just I don't put much stock into him giving the Beavers much this year. 
Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like I heard, he's fourth on that chart to me, and I've never seen Trey Norris or Trey Johnson really play. He hasn't played football in two years. He was retired largely yeah. due to injuries. I, yeah, yeah. I to me, Thomas Tyner is like a cherry on top. Like we've got great running back depth at Oregon State, and here's this kid who was, you know, a highly recruited guy that played down in Eugene, and now he's going to come in. I expect nothing. Like, I'm going into it expecting nothing, and if we got something down in Corvallis from Thomas Tyner, that would be awesome. But I also, I I have no expectations. Like, I heard someone talking about, like, well, this is just, you know, Beaver fan talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Noll's still the starter, but I'm yeah, Tyner's going to push him for that spot. Guys, Tyner Tyner could do absolutely nothing. Noll is better than Tyner. Tyner could maybe never carry the ball. Like, you know what I mean? Like, who knows? Like, we, we, we know nothing. So, I'm not... Tyner's a great story, and he's getting a lot of press right now because of his, because it's an interesting storyline, and it's something worth writing about and uh, interviewing. But uh, I have no expectations from him, and I think that's a good well, thing. So here's a little little scoop too. Is you know you're talking about Trey Johnson, but um, you know I just got a. I, I didn't see him yesterday, and I, I didn't even think to ask about him. Uh-huh. But he's still uh, getting some things cleared up, so he wasn't even out in the field yesterday. So which. Okay, I'm glad you said that because that almost transitioned to something else, like the eligibility thing. So, do we are we not sure he's eligible yet? He's just working on some things to the clearinghouse. Okay, and the other thing is, and you you alluded this to me. So, Craig Evans, their nose tackle, who will start if he can play, he's there. He's not eligible yet. Not eligible. Is and that Anderson, turning into a problem or? You know, it's, it's interesting because I have a bunch of sources and I've been, you know, and early this summer, my sources are like, no, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He'll be here. Now he's here. He's in Corvallis. Um, but, you know, then as of Monday, I checked with the same sources and they all said, you need to ask Anderson that. And I'm oh. like, oh. Okay, so yesterday I asked Anderson about him and was told he is finishing up his business, and this was what they exactly what they expected when they recruited him, and that he will be ready to go shortly. Okay, so that I mean that at least sounds encouraging. So, you know, I, I don't know. But honestly, Riley always um, used to say that to us too, like, "Oh, it's, I'm encouraged. We we should see him soon." Who's the then? guy we were waiting for? Was it Kyle Pecco that we were waiting for forever? Kyle Pecco, yeah, was Kyle over Pecco, a year. Yeah. That over. was back. I think when we were doing the BK. Dominic Glover, Kyle Pecco, yeah, there's been a couple yeah. of these guys. You're just like, he's getting the ready. Famous, the famous that never showed up, Simi Cooley. Simi Cooley, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where's Simi Cooley? Oh, you know, he's going to be here. <laughs> uh, okay, so basically don't don't uh, put too much stock in Trey Johnson until he actually gets shows cleared. up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What, what do we make? I, I guess the concern level of Craig Evans doesn't get eligible. With their defensive line, because they were, I looked this up, they haven't been top six in the conference in sacks per game since 2010. They don't, they, they, Clune says they get pressure, and I don't doubt that, he's the DC, he watches the tape. They don't bring the quarterback down. See, and I, I, I'm not as, so Beaver Blitz members are really, ups, I mean, they're, I mean, not that Craig Evans is not a great talent, but, I mean, gosh, Elu Aiden, he has another year under his belt. Um, Kalani Vakamelalo. I, I, I really think some of this is going to, some of that pressure is going to come. You know, I mean, gosh, what is, Elu Aiden is listed, I think, at three. He's Hang huge. On. He's, He's a, a ginormous. Dude. Yeah. A ginormous um, guy here. He is listed at six three three forty five. So if Evans isn't there, he could be the nose tackle. There. I mean, you, you get a guy yeah. like him, or like I said, Kalani. Yep. Um, where I really think the bees struggled was defensive end, and you know, I, I'm not as encouraged with the the loss of Joe Robinette, who transferred down to San Diego State. Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon State wanted to move him to tight end, and he wants to play defense. Yeah. And then uh, Kenny Turnier. Turnier out of Miami has left the program. So, you know, he was another, he was injured last year, but That's really right. high I, for, hopes I forgot him. about him. Yeah, so he has left. He is actually now at Ventura oh, Community College. Ah, oh, crap. So, um, no, I mean, I I think we see some more linebacker play coming in. Um, you know, you, you get a guy though like Titus Filauga. I just, it, it all comes into play here, and it's not just a Craig Evans issue. You know, it's, it's a matter of getting some of those DNs. Well, um, yeah. More in the fold. And, and we know Kloon, too. Kloon will mix it up a little bit defensively where they run a 3-4, but they don't the whole game run a 3-4. So you, you put in some different looks, and maybe you drop one of your linebackers. Because I, I, I don't know about you uh, or, or you, Crawford, either, but I mean, I'm, I feel encouraged about the front seven. The sacks thing, 
because even if it's defensive end or who steps in at the nose tackle, like I'm still concerned about what kind of pressure you're going to get and how you do against the run. I really like the linebacker core. In fact, I I think, and this may be a little homerish of me to say, I think it's one of the best linebacking cores in the conference when you talk about raw talent that nobody talks about. Oh, completely agree. I mean, Hughes Murray was a beast. Hungala is a oh, beast. Oh, yeah, I like him Willis a lot. is a really good player. Like, they have talent in those positions. It's just about filling in the gaps because, you know, Anderson, I heard this today, too, on the, the Media Day stuff. Somebody asked about the young secondary, right? Because they're really young back there, minus Brandon Arnold. And he said, I'm more concerned with the defensive line than I am the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the back-end guys. To me, the back-end guys. we were talking about this months ago on Tusty and Cam here at 10A The Fan. Uh-huh. And me being somebody who watched every Oregon State game was talking to Cam. He's like, who, who are going to be the guys for Oregon State's defense? Who's going to make them better? And I'm like, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of the guys you named. It's guys like Xavier Crawford who are kind of nationally and outside of Beaver Nation, no-namers to everyone. You know what I mean? Just young guys who probably got thrown into the fire by Coach Anderson too early by people's, you know, by the public standards. Like, whoa, that guy should probably develop a little bit more. But now, coming into this season, seeing all these young guys who who had to play and who got better. I mean, think about from, think about how the Beavers' defense improved from when Colorado torched them in, what was that, October? Into you know, how they ended the season uh, against Arizona and against uh, Oregon. Like, I love seeing young guys. If, if your team's going to suck, throw the young guys into the fire and get them playing time. And that's exactly what the Beavs did last year, whether by necessity or by choice. And now you've got all these guys that, to the public, general public, are no names that have this experience that I think are going to make big plays. Like, in the secondary and, like, you guys just talked about the linebackers. I I have faith in the Beavers' defense, even if, even if their guys are largely no-namers. Well, and then Isaac Garcia now is eligible, so he'll be in the mix. And yeah. he's huge. I think he's up to 265. Um, the one that kind of struck out at me, I was shooting pictures. I got down at the practice before it started and shooting pictures of guys coming out. And Imoni Robinson, I don't know if you guys remember him. He signed the 2016 class, but he gray-shirted. So he is new. And I had to do a double. I had to actually look him up when I'm going through the photos. He's huge. I think he's like 240 now. And he was a safety in high school. He played it to play middle linebacker. I don't remember. Yeah, him. I don't remember him either. So yeah, I was, yeah, thinking, so, cool. I was thinking, I was like, uh, that no. sounds cool. <laughs> that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. Great response. Alex. I mean, like, cause yeah, I don't remember, I don't remember him, but I mean, uh, having another guy in there is awesome. I'm, I'm just, you know, of all the things and we have four weeks before they play their first game, which by the way, that's almost a different conversation that we don't have time to have, but the feeling August 26th, right? No, the feeling, I feel like there's this shift of, not hopelessness, but like they are significantly the the dog, and I know they're going to Colorado. I don't know. There's just this weird feeling I'm getting that seems like it's shifted from, oh, very winnable game to, I don't know if they're gonna win that one, you know. And it's just like, well, it's still Colorado State, and not to downplay because the Oregon State Beavers were four and eight last year, but when you're returning eight guys on defense and seven guys on offense. A lot, you know, three of which include offensive linemen, which is great. You know, you you bring Lavaca back, Houston. Um, um, Houston didn't play offensive uh, line last year, though. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm th- who am I thinking of? Um, not Houston. Trent Moore. No, Trent Moore. That's Lavaca, but they lost three. Yeah, that's oh, maybe. The, I'm, maybe I, I'm confusing. I, I, that. I'm blanking on the name too. The big dude. Uh, he got bigger. No, because Saddlemeyer's the JC, and then we'll have Brandell. Oh, Fred Lewina. Lewina. Fred Lewina. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. That's I brain fart. My bad. But yeah, um, I still think like if you looked at the team overall, the defense is just not the area I'm concerned about right now. Am I am I wrong on that? I would agree. No, I you know, and Anderson brought up today that his biggest concerns are the throwing game and and rushing the passer. I would have to throw offensive line in the mix because we saw what the addition of Harlow did last year and yeah. then, you know, moving Gavin Andrews and, and mixing that up, but you've lost those guys. Yeah. I, I just think there's too much unknown. Okay. So let's, that's a, I think that's a good transition to go into our, our three questions because we're, we're almost at 45 minutes here on the podcast. Let's get into the three questions. We each have three big questions and we'll, we'll, we'll both two of us will react to the other's question. Okay. So Angie, I think you brought it, you almost brought it up earlier and I think it's a great question that you bring up or great point that you bring up that I'd love the listeners to hear. 
Yeah, I, I want to hear what you guys think. So there's, I, and I don't know the answer to this. So there's always been this thought that Oregon State, and I, I'll never forget Anderson's press conference when he was hired, and he said that he needs quarterbacks that will beat you with his mind, their arm, and their legs. Now he brings in, you know, Brent Brennan leaves to take the head coaching job at San Jose State, so he brings in Jason Phillips, who is a basically a run-and-shoot guru, has, you know, been – through all SMU and, and kind of that's that's what he he played uh, in the run and shoot, and then he brings in a six seven pro style quarterback. Is Oregon State going to transition to a run and shoot type offense, or do you think it'll still be the same same type offense? Sprague, you had uh, Gina Mizell of the Oregonian on your guys' show on Monday, mm-hmm. and she talked about this as well. And I I think she mentioned. That it could be more, and this is what stuck with me, uh, that it could be the run-and-shoot style because uh, Phillips did, when he was at uh, SMU, they set numerous records for you know passing yards in a game, receiving yards in a game, like all the all the passing and yeah, yeah. receiving records. And then at Kansas, you know, he spark-plugged their offense. But it could be the type of run-and-shoot, similar to Oklahoma State, where where the run game then opens up the passing game. Whereas, you know, a lot of times with the run the run-and-shoot or, you know, the air raid attack, you see the passing game. You can still be a dominant run team while incorporating elements of a dominant passing Exactly, attack. and so that's what I think, looking at Oregon State, that's what I'm expecting, is with the uh, deep backfield and the stable of running backs that Oregon State has, they use, whether it's Jake Luton or Marcus McMurray or whoever, they use the running game with that three- or four-headed monster to yeah. then open up the passing game and take pressure off the quarterback. Okay, okay but okay, what, what receiver... Just scares you to go deep downfield. None of them. Um, until Villeman proves that maybe he shook off what happened last year, I would say him. Villeman doesn't have the speed. I, I mean, know. Do you think he, one of the true freshmen or or Aaron Short, the the JC transfer? I mean, yeah, does he? No. 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 Not no one. No one scares me. But also, there's a few guys that I say, I like him. Reliable. Like they don't. They they have possession receivers. They don't have huge threats. No. Exactly. But here, here here's okay. So. I think this is a very fascinating thing because I think Gary Anderson told us that this is the way they were going last season after they played the Cougars. He alluded to watching them play and the amount of times they passed and how he took that into account. It mattered to him. And this is why I think it matters to him. I think it's easier for him to go find a run-of-the-mill big quarterback. And look, he's going to aim for four or five-star guys, no doubt. But you can still find three-star kids or maybe an underrated two-star kid. And bring him in that can throw the football around versus going and getting four-star, five-star offensive linemen. I think it's easier to do that. Angie, you may think I'm wrong on that, and that's fine. You're the one that you're in recruiting way more than I am. But I, I think he views what Washington State does, and he doesn't want to get away from what he believes in in running, but he views being able to go get a passing quarterback that can sling it easier in college than trying to do what he ultimately wants to do and that's what I think is ground and pound punch you in the mouth type stuff what Stanford does because I don't think they're ever do you think they're ever going to get those kind of linemen because I don't and so I just think he views it as a way to incorporate something they're not good at in passing the ball doing it significantly more than maybe he's comfortable with because he also knows running's important but I can't go get the, the dogs I want for that that's true. And, you know, today at Pac-12 Media Day, he made the comment that you don't need a quarterback who is necessarily a Heisman candidate. No. You need a guy who can get the ball down the field and make smart decisions. I mean, Luke Falk was a walk-on, for God's sakes. Yeah. Yeah. And he knew Luke Falk. He's like, that's a good reference point of before you go, well, I only got a two-star quarterback coming in. Like, well, he's not a four or five. You don't need that. And I think he's well aware of that. And I think we got a great example of that in this conference. You give the right player the opportunity. And Washington State was just in a point where they didn't have an answer. But they gave Luke Falk an opportunity. He torched Oregon State in his first game and hasn't looked back since. Yeah. No. And, and those, you know, you look at what Oregon State's recruiting now under Anderson on the offensive line. It's a t- completely different type of offensive lineman, whereas Riley could go out and find a, a undersized, you know, guy that was like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and maybe in the, you know, 250s even. Um, Anderson's liking these. They want long, he calls them long lever guys, even at the offensive line. He wants the 6'6", six, six, long arms, and over 300 pounds when they get them. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't wait to see Saddlemeyer six seven. That's yeah. a huge offensive lineman. Yeah, we we have some we have a couple. I did some photo galleries on on Beaver Blitz. Okay, it's a shameless plug, but I made them oh, open yeah, yeah. To anybody to see. I want to look check at some them out because Battlemeyer's there. Um, I have Clay Cordasco. You can see a picture of yeah. him. There's several of those new guys um, that I tried to tried to snap. So yeah, okay. there's two of them on the front page right now. All right, and don't don't worry. Once we get past these questions, Angie, I'm going to let you go and and explain to people what's been going on Beaver Blitz, what's going on right now. So because um, I want you to be able to get that message out as well. All right, Crawford. What is your question? My question is, uh, forget this season. Let's skip ahead. No, like, but after this season's <laughs> done, let's say the Beavs go um, five and seven. Okay, and they which don't make... is feasible because, by the way, that schedule is a nightmare. It's a tough schedule, um, but I- I've got my own thoughts on that. I think you know you're gonna have some teams got to play a tough schedule, and if you want to be good, you got to win your games. True. But uh, the Beavs go five and seven, which could very easily happen. And the Beavs, I know Coach Anderson today or yesterday or whatever was just saying. You know, I don't want to have expectations. Like, I don't think about that one game at a time, blah, blah, blah. The Beaver Nation, I think we can all agree, is expecting a bowl game this year, right? I think for the most part, yeah, high percentages. Yeah. Yeah. I think like they're, they're, there's the expectation, progression-wise, of a bowl game. Uh, there's excitement. I, we've all were talking about it before we started recording, and I feel it's just there's buzz of like, hey, we might not suck. Like, we might be decent, you know? <laughs> it's like it's like we haven't felt that way. I haven't felt this excited about a season uh, since my senior year at Oregon State, which at, which will be have been five football seasons ago at the start of this year. And so if the Beavs miss out on a bowl game, is Coach Anderson on the hot seat? Or not even if, you know, maybe the, hot, the term hot seat might be a little dramatic, but is Beaver Nation starting to lose faith in Coach A if they don't go to a bowl game this year? Okay, do you want to go, Andrew, or do you want me to go? No, you go for it. Okay. I, hot seat, hell no. This dude can coach the next three seasons. <laughs> He's They hired Scott Barnes for him. They understand what they have in Gary Anderson. What about it's, fan hot seat, though? Uh, Well, yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, like, addressing the, the actual hot seat doesn't exist. Fan hot seat is different. I think a lot of people are expecting a bowl. However, I'm also encouraged, and yes, I'm encouraged by this, that there's this expectation from fans of, if you're close and competitive, but don't get it, that's cool too. You know, because you want the year three jump. Everybody points to Colorado. Colorado and Mike McIntyre in year three. Well, look what they did last year. You're not going to quite get that. But can they make a bowl? I do think they can make a bowl, even with that tough schedule. But if they're close, they were close in some games last year. Three games you could point to that they lost that you could say, if something goes their way or goes different, Look, that's a seven-win season. But if and buts were candy and nuts, we know that, right? If they're close, though, with a tough schedule and finish five and seven, I do think people will still be okay, calm. All right, year four, it's got to be it, though. Yeah, and you look at year four with all the returning guys coming back, it could be. But that's looking ahead. I'm excited for year four. Crawford, Crawford's like, just skip 2017, let's just jump right at 2018. Well, how do you feel about 2017? If they don't make a bowl, what's your feel on that? Me? Yeah. Machado? Um, I, I'm kind of with you, Brandon. I mean, I think as far, you know, I, I deal with the diehard fans that are, are pretty dialed into what's going on, and um, I, I think they all, you know, are kind of thinking bowl game this year, but at the same time, 5-7, and seven, but fighting and close i mean I, th- I think everybody would take it and then knowing what they have to look forward to the next year yeah it, it's made they're making strides and if you could see the the things that are, are maybe not quite as tangible but the strengths and the um off the field like classroom you know they're they're getting better grades now they're more accountable um there's a lot of things that are, are kind of falling into place as, as anderson i mean he came in, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, it, he could have eased himself and probably had a lot more, a couple more wins that first year if he eased systems. And But he decided to cut bait early, yeah, right off the bat, mm-hmm. jump to his system, and we, you know, we saw those pains, those growing pains. But um, I do think things are heading in the right direction. Yeah. Well, he wanted to establish his culture early on and right from the get-go. Can't blame him for that. He had... You know, he did well at Southern Utah. He did great at Utah State, and same thing in Wisconsin. If the Beavs go 5-7 and seven and they beat the Ducks, I think everyone's fine. I don't, yeah. think, there's, I don't yeah. think there's any grumblings. Well, I think people feel a certain way, and they beat the Ducks this year with a four-win season. So <laughs> yeah. I think you're probably onto something there. That's All how right. I feel. I get to my question. We're getting close to an hour. I wanted to try to keep this at an hour. Uh, my question is, 
some uh, similar lines to Crawford, but a little more extreme. But I think it's a it's one I've been thinking about. Do we feel that he's projecting to the path in which he achieves the goal that he wants to achieve at Oregon State? And I know there are people that are not Beaver fans that would hear this question and laugh their arses off because we are talking about Oregon State. But his goal is simply to win a Pac-12 championship, right? USC, Washington, maybe Oregon. God, please no, but maybe Oregon. Stanford is always there. And then you got Utah, who will never go away, in my opinion, and UCLA is a wild card. But if you're looking at where they're at right now, having not played a second in their third year with Gary Anderson, are, do you feel that the projection with him is headed to his goal? I I do. You do. I do, and I I think that those Pac, you know, I the eight or nine. I should say competing seasons. for Pac twelve titles, by the way, not winning, but he he because yeah, he yeah. says competing, he wants to compete for a Pac twelve title. Eight or nine win seasons are going to be doable, I think. You know. It's it's and and I don't think he I mean yeah their goal is to win a Pac-12 champion you know win it outright every year but um, you know I think with the parity in, in the Pac-12 right now that's probably not going to happen but I think Oregon State should be on on the trajectory to be competing for that Pac-12 championship every four to five years I think you know I think that's doable. If we look at the data that we have in front of us, which is Coach Anderson's record at past schools that you just brought up, Brandon, where he was successful yeah. and in conference championships or winning conference championships at Utah State. And getting to a Big Ten title, but getting destroyed, but still getting to a Big we Ten did. title. At, at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. We look at that, and we look at his improvement, and as you brought up, Angie, uh, that the, the little things, the uh, establishing his culture, the one-game-at-a-time mentality— if we're looking at one game at a time and and all these little things, then I do think he's on the project uh, the trajectory to compete for a Pac-12 title. And I also think you said this, Brandon. A lot of people outside of this podcast would laugh at the at the thought of Oregon State as we know them right now in a for Pac-12 sure. title. Yeah. But, but think about some of the teams that have been in the Pac-12 title game in the last five years. Colorado last year, and if you said that a few years ago, people would have laughed. And yeah, Arizona how many people... played Oregon yeah. just a few years before yeah, that. Right. And now look at where Arizona is. Now they're a team that you'd laugh at. Yeah. So it's really not that far off. People live so much in the now and so much in the Oregon State. Corvallis, 4-8. and eight, Those guys suck. The Beavers. Yeah. People in, in Vegas putting the Ducks at a uh, over-under eight-win season and the hype uh, around the Ducks right now in this offseason just because of Willie Taggart's recruiting and whatnot and, and, you know, whatever. Like, people are already ready to crown the Ducks as, uh, you know, they got what they got one vote to win yeah, the, the conference. Yeah, they're going to win the North. The, yeah. To win the North, yeah. And so it's like, you got to put the hype aside because Oregon State doesn't and never has had hype behind the program ever. No. And they never, they maybe they never will, and that's fine, and Beaver fans love that. And so I think if we just look at the data and the facts, then absolutely they're on that trajectory uh, to compete for a Pac-12 title. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Um, we do that in sports all the time. We do that in the NBA with the Blazers. Blazer fan right now does that with... Blazers suck. Golden State, man, no point. Like, oh, five no years point. ago, Golden State didn't, they weren't Golden State. Like... It just it changed sports change so much, and especially in a sport like football, where recruiting or the schedule lineup just perfect. Like Colorado, I think I thought they had that last year. They were a great team. They were. They got to a Pac-12 title game, but I also thought the schedule kind of lined up for them a little bit. They had a senior quarterback. They also hit on a freshman quarterback, and we'll see if he's the real deal this year in Montez. It just sometimes the stars align for you. It takes a little bit of luck to win no, a national title. Oh, it takes. Yeah, it takes. Look at. I mean, look at the Beavers' 2000 season. I mean, that was. Yes. Things happen. I mean, they had a really good team. A lot of, but injuries were kept to a minimum, and a lot of things. You know, the JC guys all made it in. Yes. Um, you know, it's it. A lot of things have to happen, and that's not just for Oregon State. That's for. For a lot of programs. You you can't get Alabama recruiting classes everywhere. The tough part is always going to be Chris Peterson at Washington. I don't. I just don't think they're ever going to be worse than six and six. Who the Huskies? The Huskies. I. I But even he is. He is a force. He is. He is top. I would put him top six, seven coaches in the country. And I agree with you. But Um, as you just said, Oregon is a wild card. Like the Oregon. I do. You've pointed to this before. I also try to be realistic with Oregon, right? I have found it kind of amusing. Like, they had a 4-8 and eight season. And instead of being 
looking at and going to reality is our defense was the worst in program history, maybe one of the worst defenses I've ever seen in college football history. Their thought is, it's a one-off. Okay, but now you're bringing in a sub-500 record coach, and his building projects have been Western Kentucky and South Florida. He's never been in a Power 5. And I get the recruiting's great. He still is not coached in this conference. We don't know what kind of coach he is, and yet, well, the Ducks over-under is 8, and people think they could get to 9. They could, maybe. Maybe their schedule lines up for them. But I see where you're coming from on that point. So you would have them. Stanford, I mean, as long as Shaw's there, does anybody disagree that Stanford will yeah, but, but just be to, in the conversation every just year? Just bring up a point you literally just said, like, things can change so quickly I know, in sports. But, but like, I mean, like, they could, though. Like I think when you're talking about Peterson and Shaw, though, you're talking about the cream of the crop. You are talking about the two best coaches in this conference. Yeah, but remember how I, don't, I don't think right now... All due respect to Coach A, to Coach... I don't think it's close. You're talking about X's and O's or just overall program or what? Coaches. Yeah, I, I would say Shaw and Peterson are... I mean, right? I mean, that, there's other good coaches. I think Gary Anderson is a really good coach, but I don't think it's close right now. I think it's Peterson and Shaw. I know, but I just... You can't say I put Whittingham, though, actually... Yeah, you're right. Whittingham. Whittingham. And I don't even mean a disrespect by that because I love talking to that guy. Yeah, no, I, but I would, I'd say he's one of the better, you know, coaches... In the conference, no this doubt. is another whole question. This is like I know, I know. Yeah. And there was a time when nationally when Mike Riley was the most underrated coach in the nation. You know what I like? I don't know. Things change. Yeah, like, I'm with dude. I I totally agree with in your, 2006. Your you would have said SC will be winning national titles for the next decade, and Pete Carroll's. You would have said that in 2010 when they got number one recruiting class and they were number one in the country and Lane and then Kiffin. They, and then they suck. And like, then I they were terrible. I'm just saying things change. So I know. Like, I'm with you. So we can't project out forever. Like, But how, I just see, because Angie, you, you'd be able to answer this one. And this is kind of tee up for what I you, you want to you know tell the listeners. They're what, 70th in recruiting right now, Oregon State? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, they're doing a pretty crappy job. Now it's still early. They can turn yeah, but, that around. But see, where I come in this, you know, they have, they've struggled, right? Yeah. They are still in on some really, really top notch guys. And frankly, I would rather see them with their five commits sitting there and waiting and, you know, let these guys see Oregon State rattle off a couple wins early and possibly get these guys instead of panic mode and go into their B and C list now. Yeah. Which I'm with some you. coaches do. You know, some coaches are like, Oh crap! We have five commits, and we're you know almost to August. These guys aren't you know they're they're waiting around. We're going to just start offering these other guys. Yeah, that are are not Pac-12 players. So honestly, I'm not quite ready to like totally. You know, the staff's shown that they can recruit, and like I said, they're still in on some really really good players. So win a few games. And, and, you know, midway change. through the season. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. If they go 6-6, six and six, so they go 7-5, and five, or, hell, maybe they surprise the world and they go eight wins this year, you know? Could happen. No. Not just because it's the damn podcast. No, could happen. Yeah, it could. I mean, you, you never know. But if that were to happen, I, I think, yeah, things start to turn around a little bit. Because, because you think about, so when Anderson came in in 2015, um, you know, he's trying to sell, but he only had like a month and a half. Yeah. So it's it's the new blood, whatever. So he kind of they scrambled. They scrambled to get some players. They they went out and found some guys. Last year was really his first. Twenty sixteen class was kind of the first one. They had the full year pitch, and they they were pitching, were building. You know, they were selling their vision. Now year three, year four, these recruits now are like, okay, we've heard your vision, but let's is it working? Yeah. Is, is your vision going to flip things around? And you know, like I said, they start off with a few wins early. Anderson and his staff can go on the road and say it's working. Yeah, we, you know, but this, these are the pieces we need. You're the guy. Yeah. Spirited conversation, very spirited conversation. Alex Crawford's really fired up about the Oregon stuff. Oh, we're about I, the we ducks. need to have Alex on again. The yep. ducks, the the ducks hype thing is so like, like a product of our current era of being. Sports have always been reactionary, but like we're not only in the hot take era, but we're in like the social media era of like react right now to everything. Yeah, and it's like Willie Taggart, it's a god. Like look what he's doing. And it's like Vegas set the over under at eight wins, so they must be really good. Whereas Vegas doesn't. That's not a prediction. That's there to generate action. You know, I, I don't, believe Vegas. Well, so this is me though, and and maybe I'm just being a girl, you know, with the feels and everything. But <laughs> this is what it feels so. Willie Taggart's coming in, and he's all flash, right? It's all yeah. flash, and, and he's getting a lot of South Florida guys. And I've heard this from other people, that he's trying to, trying to turn that football program into South Florida. Okay, it's Eugene. It's not South Florida. And what I wonder and worry, if I'm a Duck fan, is, is A, 
the control of the program. Is he going to be able to keep keep his fingers on it? Because we've already seen he's had issues with coaches going yeah. out getting Deweys and everything, mm-hmm. and you know players yeah. players and yeah players ending up leaving the program and players ending up in the hospital. I mean, we've seen some really bad stuff, and it's not even been a year. So there's that aspect, but also, are you bringing in a bunch of me, me, me guys, flashy that aren't going to bond as a team? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We'll if see, is, right? Like time yeah, will I mean, tell. And I'm not. I'm not trying to be. Like I said, and maybe I'm just a girl, and I I sit there and look back at the okay, but you know, stranger things have happened. I don't. I don't know. That's one thing I'm watching. It's though. just. It's such an unknown. And I. It's a I, huge I, unknown. He hasn't coached a game. Not in the Pac-12. No, he hasn't. He hasn't faced Chris Peterson. We don't. What if this is the thing that's funny? It's like I think. Their quarterback, I hate to admit, I think he's a pretty special kid, Herbert. Oh, yeah. Hell of a talent. I think Willie Taggart is a really good coach. Okay, but you say that, what does he do in the final three, four minutes of a close game against Chris Peterson? What does he do in the close game? We don't know. But that's my point is there seems to be an assumption tied with the recruiting ranking. Hey, top five on scout, top five on this. Oh, Okay, but... What does he do when, if he has crucial decisions to make? Because I know he made a couple at South Florida. This ain't South Florida. This is the Pac-12, and you're facing better coaches. You are facing David Shaw. You're facing Chris Peterson, two-time coach of the year. You know, Gary Anderson. You're facing Clay Helton, USC with Sam Darnold. You're, yeah. you're facing better coaches. I, and by the way, Cal, Cal's not going to be good. I think Justin Wilcox's coaching staff is really good. So I, I just think there is such an unknown, and I feel like it's being filled in with this recruiting hype versus what the reality might be, which we don't know yet. People, thinks, people think the Ducks are more of a known than the Beavs, which is amusing to me. Because of the recruiting. That's because the why. Beavs have continuity, whereas the Ducks, everything is different for the first time in however many, 20, 30 years. Everything is different in Eugene, and that could take longer time than people think it will. Hey, and, but if I'm a Beaver fan, yeah. I'm like, go for it. Let them, you know, with, with the, what they're paying those assistants... Oh yeah, no doubt. They're gonna be on some short, short leashes. Yeah, don't don't be I'm not mad about it. I, I quite enjoy the back and forth. I think that's the beauty of the rivalry. Yeah, it's I fun. Just, it's so fun. I also think that Coach A and Coach Taggart are great foils for each other in the Civil War rivalry. The way I just I love I want to see those two go at it. I want to see the Civil War. Are you going black-white on me here? No, I wasn't going black-white. Oh. I was just saying they're both intense. Willie Taggart's like social media savvy. and, and Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Coach and A doesn't have one. Coach, and... Coach A is like like tough. We're going to run the ball down your throats. And but I gives... also think Anderson's a much better interview. Like talk, like oh, when they completely. converse. But I love Taggart's just kind of like, uh, you know, I like do Tag- something. But I do like Taggart's interviews. Like what I'm saying is, I don't. I enjoy. I enjoy. I've this. interviewed. Him. I'm I... enjoying what's happened. Like I'm enjoying watching what's unfolding yeah. down in the Willamette Valley for both schools. Yeah, no, it, it's not like makes it fun again. It's like people in the NBA want to hate on the Warriors super team. You can hate on the team, or you can try to hope your team gets better. Yeah, it's like Beavs should not just hope the Ducks suck. You should hope the Beavs are just consistently better. All right, well, uh, we're way over the time allotted that I wanted to do for the podcast. So, Angie, I will allow you. The floor is yours. Some news that you'd like to let the listeners know that breaking have been news. away from the, uh, breaking the, news. the breaking, damn breaking. podcast. What's been going on over at BeaverBlitz.com? Well, Beaver Blitz, um, I know last year we kind of broke the, the news after um, being on the, on the Rivals Network since 2002. We actually made a big jump to the Scout Network, and uh, that was done for a lot of reasons, and the, the biggest reason was to join forces with the best publishers and sites that cover the Pac-12. So um, we've done that, and uh, it's, things have been going great. I, the, the site has grown and has been um, a lot of fun. And then uh, we were j- bought out in bankruptcy court. Yeah, I, Angie makes the move, and Beaverwoods makes the move, and Scout file bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was awesome. So... Uh, it was actually kind of a, I mean, it's worked out amazingly because Shannon Terry, who actually had started the Rivals, when I went to work at Rivals, that's who he was, the CEO. Shannon Terry built Rivals into the $100 million product that he sold to Yahoo back in the day. Mm. Um, he took the money, did some traveling, did whatever, and then started 24-7 Sports, which was another basic competitor that yeah. was bought by CBS Sports. So in bankruptcy court, Shannon Terry now has reunited with uh, all of us, and uh, we have joined forces with 247, 
And uh, it's really making a really great – we just changed platforms. We're on the CBS Sports platform now. Um, message boards are much improved. We have lots of fun new content that we're able to do, uh, like the photo galleries, for example, are, are out, and that's a, a, new, a new feature for us. So it's been fun um, and, and just great for the fans, you know, those crystal ball predictions, um, Lots of lots of insight. You know, I talk to people that coach in football, and they they love the scout and the twenty four seven databases as far as player rankings. Uh, still the same great Brandon Huffman and Blair Angulo and um, Craig or Biggins, Greg, Greg Biggins, Greg Biggins, yeah, yeah. Oh, Greg those Biggins. guys, yeah. they're great. Um, Amazing, amazing analysts, and so we're we're with those guys, but we also, you know, have the twenty four seven guys as well. So it's kind of a, a joined forces, and. Uh, Beaver Blitz is is rolling, so uh, join us. It's a, it's a lot of fun, and the message boards are, are are going to town. So anything you we we discuss basically anything. It's like the damn podcast on a computer. Yeah, there you go. Beaverblitz dot com. Cool. Uh, happy for you, Angie. Glad everything got sorted out, and uh, I'm I'm excited. I've been checking it out, been following it, of course, on Twitter and on the website. And so I'm really um, really happy and excited for you. It's it's yeah. fantastic. It's um, it's a great stop. If you're a diehard Beaver fan, that is a that is the must go to uh, stop. All right, this has been a great podcast. Good uh, start to the season. I think we've got more a lot of things I didn't get to in this one that uh, we can carry over for next week. Um, and like uh, I, uh, God, here we go. <laughs> like I mentioned, uh, we will be doing much better job this year of getting guests, maybe assistant coaches, maybe even a Gary Anderson interview at some point this season. And uh, try to get some players, and I'm sure Angie will be plugged in with some recruits as well. Um, here's a here's a quick one for you guys. Yeah, Isaac Hodgins, a big defensive tackle. Um, Isaiah's commit. brother. Yeah, it's Isaiah's little brother. Yep. Just his dad just tweeted that he did a 520 pound back squat. Holy crap! There's actually wow. a video. Yeah, 520 pounds. Oh, there you hurts. go. There's a little recruiting nugget for you. There we go. We'll get more. We'll get more nuggets next week. I'm sorry, Angie. We just kind of ran against it, but it was good. I thought no. it was a fun conversation. Um, and, and we'll get to some more stuff next week. So we'll be here next Wednesday, I believe, if that works for Angie's schedule. Uh, next Wednesday, we'll be back with another edition of the Damn Podcast. Alex Crawford, thank you for stopping by. Hey, thanks for letting me come on in between Coach A and uh, Star Beaver players. Maybe I can come back or not. Whatever. Yeah, Angie, how'd you feel? I liked it. The shaggy, you know, uh, got some sound effects and sorry, some, got got some fired up duck talk. But you know, hey, but you know what? I I thought it was from a a beaver perspective. I thought it was good. No, seriously though, all jokes aside, you're more than welcome to come back on the podcast, all right, dude, man. Thanks. I like doing the uh, the three man weave here. We got uh, yeah. The two-man with the... Three-person weave. A three-person weave, yes. Thank you. I was searching two-man with a lady. I don't know. I don't know what you say there, but... It's all good. Three-person weave. Uh, It was fun. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Damn Podcast.